Picture a majestic snow-covered bison in Yellowstone National Park. Emerging out of the mist, staring straight into camera. Now imagine the accompanying caption on the photo reading, Ice, ice, bison. All right, stop, ungulate, and listen. This is the National Park's official Instagram. Yeah, we definitely try to instill some personality, which I think for government accounts is not usually what you see, which I think surprises a lot of people right off the bat. But they're not just clogging your feed with questionable hooven animal puns. You might find eruptions in Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, shooting stars in Joshua Tree, or electric blue ice caves in Glacier Bay. You have the iconic parks like Yellowstone, Grand Teton, uh, any of the Alaska parks, uh, Denali, you know, uh, Katmai, and some of the longest caves in the world are actually national parks, uh, like Jewel Cave and Wind Cave up in South Dakota. As its social media lead, it's Matt Turner's job to give us a daily glimpse into the 423 national park sites, including our 63 national parks. I think a lot of people get kind of uh, hung up on these 63 national parks, like Yellowstone or the Grand Canyon, but uh, we try to emphasize there's actually 423 national park units, and that includes the Statue of Liberty or, you know, Padre Island in Texas. There's recreation areas, battlefields, monuments. Matt will pull photos from the hundreds, sometimes thousands of people who post photos of the parks online every day. But predictably, not even our beloved national parks are immune from the trolls who lurk in every corner of the internet. But there is this phenomenon of people going to national parks and leaving, like, bad reviews about things that are kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's no such thing as really a bad review because we're always learning from it and everybody has a different experience. One, I have a couple written down. Um, I have one from Rocky Mountain National Park. It's overrated, there's wildlife everywhere, and the rangers are all way too friendly. It's like they're completely oblivious to all the suffering in the world. If the park sees that, uh, they're probably going to think, yeah, I'm glad our rangers were friendly and, and outgoing, so. Yellowstone National Park, someone gave one-star review and said, Save yourself some money and boil some water at home. Yeah, well, I mean, Yellowstone's already pretty crowded, so if, if it's not for you, you know, maybe there's another park out there. Sequoia National Park, someone says, There are bugs, and they will bite your face. Yeah, I think we did use that as a caption as well for, again, about going out to hiking and knowing what to expect. So (laughs) that does some of the work for us. (laughs) Uh, This is from Bryce Canyon National Park. I would recommend not to go in the cold month because it is very cold. (laughs) A lot of people go to Bryce Canyon for the cold. So we might jump in there and recommend one of our beach parks as an alternative. Yeah, and then... Just one more thing. I have to ask you because this has come up so many times in some of these bad reviews for national parks. Uh, A lot of people are concerned that there's no Starbucks (laughs) in various national parks. Uh, Any plans to put a Starbucks in some national parks in the near future, to the best of your knowledge? Uh, To the best of my knowledge, not in any national park itself. (laughs) In 2020, visitors spent over 1 billion hours across America's national parks. And in a year where international travel was basically impossible, so many people, even in my own circle of friends, took to the road to visit some of America's national parks for the very first time. And the system keeps expanding. In February, New River Gorge in West Virginia became our 63rd national park. 
And despite a lack of Starbucks, which seems to irritate some national park reviewers, more people than ever are learning our national parks are really one of America's best features, period. In this episode, we're talking to writer and filmmaker Dayton Duncan about some of the history behind the park system. We have interviews with some folks lucky enough to spend most of their time exploring our many national parks. We're talking with a member of the Navajo Nation about the indigenous history of the Grand Canyon and how the park system is currently working with indigenous tribes to make sure their voices are heard, and a whole lot more. So keep your food and beverages sealed inside your backpack, wear some appropriate footwear, and make sure to cover your face with bug spray. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers. Well, in 1959, my parents decided we would take what would be virtually our first and almost only real vacation. I think one of the searing memories for me is when we went to Grand Teton National Park, just south of Yellowstone. We had camped on the banks of Jenny Lake, just this extraordinarily gorgeous spot. And my mom, to the end of her days, would always get a little misty-eyed just talking about that. She said it was the most beautiful thing she'd ever seen in her life. This is Dayton Duncan, screenwriter and filmmaker. Anyway, 40 years later, I was a parent myself. And I stood on the shore of Jenny Lake with my son and my daughter. And in holding her hand, while we watched that beauty unfold in front of us, I could feel my hand holding my mother's hand. I could also imagine someday my daughter standing there with one of her children, seeing the exact same thing. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, this is as close to eternity as I'll probably ever experience in this life. Dayton Duncan has written and co-produced many of Ken Burns' documentaries including, of course, the 12-hour miniseries National Parks, America's Best Idea. The national parks present this notion that our most sacred places are not the exclusive preserve of royalty or the rich or the well-connected, as they had been in all of recorded time up to that moment. When we, a nation built on an idea applied that idea to these special places and said, these places are for everybody and they need to be preserved for all of us for all times. In 1864, in the midst of our Civil War, a proposal was made to set aside the Yosemite Valley and the giant sequoia trees and give them to the state of California for preservation. In 1872, these rumors that had been floating down the Yellowstone River for 20, 30, 40 years about this magical place where mud boiled and hot water spouted into the sky was finally checked out by an expedition that took photographs, brought an artist to make paintings, and they said, it is true, there is such a place. And they said, well, let's follow what we did with Yosemite and the big trees and set it aside so you can't homestead here, you can't mine here. Wyoming was a territory at that time, not a state. So there was no state to entrust it to. 
with no other alternative. They said, well, we'll call it a, quote, national park, and the federal government will be in charge of it. While we were working on our film, my job required me to go to all of the national parks to learn the story there, to meet the people who knew the most about it, to come back with the film crew and film there. It was, you know, it was the greatest, quote, job of my lifetime. Most people think, well, the parks have always been there. They haven't. They think, well, to the extent they're here, it's a top-down thing from the federal government. It does require Congress and a president to create a national park. But what we learned is that with almost every national park, they are the result of people falling in love with the place, deciding that it should be preserved, and embarking on what oftentimes is decades-long struggles to get the federal government to do the right thing and to set them aside for a national park. And in every park I was at, I had imperishable memories. I will never forget, we were at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, and the lava was flowing down the hillsides and ultimately into the sea as the first rays of dawn came up. And I'll remember the smell of the sulfur. I remember the darkness that had been somewhat illuminated by that bright gold, reddish lava flowing along the ground. And then I remember watching it drip over a cliff and hit the cold seawater and start to congeal into land. And I realized that uh, without congressional action, Hawaii's Volcanoes National Park was being expanded. Whereas John Muir said that one learns that the world though made is yet being made, that this is still the morning of creation. And there it was, the creation of new land going on right before my eyes. That is something that I will carry with me to my final days. I remember freezing our butts off in Yellowstone in the wintertime. And Yellowstone in the winter is a different place than Yellowstone the other times. Because of the cold weather, snow, all of those different thermal features are much more prominent some little fumarole that you might walk by in the summertime and not even think much of is a towering pillar of steam in that cold air, you know? I remember mornings at Crater Lake and just how exquisite and restful contemplating that mirror of the clearest water in the world created and I remember trying to get to Isle Royal National Park out in the middle of Flake Superior and just the boat ride there and then just tramping around there to try to get some footage of this almost, I don't know if it's the least visited national park or one of them. And going to Denali National Park where we saw grizzly bears all the time. We saw packs of wolves and caribou. And of course, rising over it all was the highest mountain in North America, Denali, whose size and beauty grabs your attention. And it reminds you, on the one hand, of your own, what one of the first early explorers called our atomic insignificance. 
just how small we are, both in size and in terms of geological time. But it also makes you larger somehow. It fills you up that you are connecting with something bigger than yourself. And I think that's what national parks offer us. Because they are protected from development and degradation, you're connected both to something larger than yourself, but you're also connected through time to other people who have been there and worked so hard to make sure that future generations that they would never meet might have the same chance. For a much, much, much more in-depth look at the history of our national park system, you should definitely check out Dayton and Ken Burns' series, National Parks, America's Best Idea. Serana Riggs is a member of the Navajo Nation who works with the Grand Canyon National Trust, an organization whose mission is to safeguard the wonders of the Grand Canyon and the Colorado Plateau while supporting the rights of its native peoples. They work alongside the national park system to educate people about the indigenous history of the area, protect the land, and make sure that currently, sovereign tribal nations' voices and concerns are heard. Well, many of us indigenous people, we look at Grand Canyon, we're not there to look at it as a tourist destination. We're looking at it as, I need to rebalance myself, and I need to offer a prayer, and I need some guidance and direction. Uh, The history of the Grand Canyon is to acknowledge that this is the ancestral lands of 11 affiliated tribes. I will have people tag along with me and see what it is through my eyes, why this place needs to be protected. It's a live entity and it has those 11 different voices of the 11 different tribes. And we're doing everything in our power to, to uplift and highlight what it wants. To better understand our connection as Indigenous people to the area is that we have our origin stories that tie us to the canyon, which depicts us that we were created there and we have emerged from another world into the world that we live in. If you want to know and you want to understand the history of the Grand Canyon, you need to acknowledge that there has been people that have been here before and people that were forcibly removed and that that history needs to be highlighted up front and foremost in order to get past it. We have to acknowledge it and heal from it and move forward from it. So what does that look like? And that's putting ourselves more out there in the public eye and talking about our past and our connection to the land and how to be respectful about the area and what it is that respect looks like. Wherever you are, you're on someone's indigenous land. If you're going to Las Vegas, if you're going to New York, if you're going to Niagara Falls, if you're going to Grand Canyon, Acknowledge whose land you are on. I feel like there's a good collaboration happening between National Park Services and the Bureau of Indian Affairs. I feel like the world is is more receptive to justice, equity, diversity, inclusion 
And the relationship we have with Greg Cairn National Park is that it has an open door policy. They're willing to listen to what your concerns are and not just be a usual checkbox and, you know, be consulted with tribes. feel like what connects and draws me to the canyon is the same for anybody else. We're also taking our families over there so that they can see it and pass on this legacy of going to the canyon. But there's there's something that we all revere and acknowledge there. But I feel like there could be more of a respect if we have more of an indigenous presence and more education there so that if they have questions, somebody is there of a, the indigenous background to say, you know what, this is what you're talking about. This is how I can share it. Having those resources readily available gives it more of a respect. Not just on the Grand Canyon, but there's many other organizations, there's many other tribes that are facing similar issues and fighting for their lands and fighting for the things that's culturally important and that they want to preserve for generations to come. If you want to learn more about the indigenous history and modern communities in and around the Grand Canyon, and also some ways you can help and get involved in some of the education and preservation movements Go to GrandCanyonTrust.com. We have a link in our description. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lauren Gay, and I am known on the interwebs as the outdoorsy diva. I am a travel writer and blogger and podcast host, and I'm a huge proponent and advocate for diversity and inclusion in outdoor recreation and travel. I love national parks because as a kid, my first introduction to national parks was watching PBS and National Geographic specials, right? So actually getting to see those things in person, it's nostalgic for me because it wasn't something I could even fathom as a kid. I think one experience that completely changed my life uh, was finally getting to Yellowstone the weekend that I was there, it happened to be a harvest full moon. I realized it was gonna sit directly behind the Yellowstone Lower Falls. And then I would also catch the sun rising up over the Yellowstone Canyon at the same time. So it was, it, I did, I'd actually cried. I shed a couple of, couple of tears of, about that moment. It was just so unbelievably beautiful. So there are actually 11 parks in Florida that are part of the national park system, which a lot of people don't realize. So I think the obvious big one is the Everglades. I think it's so underrated because there's actually three different gates and they offer three completely different experiences of the park. The terrain and the vegetation is different. It's not just the sawgrass plains, you know, that you see on TV with the airboats and the alligators, but you don't hear about the American crocodile that's there. And then the other one is Biscayne, which is just like 20 minutes up the road. Biscayne is like all water. 
So if you're somebody like me who loves water, who loves to kayak, snorkel, all that kind of stuff, I mean, Biscayne is gorgeous. And there's even a part of the park where you can walk this trail along the water. Then you walk a footbridge and it takes you out to this jetty. And it's completely canopied with these trees and seagrass and there's water on either side of you. I mean, it was, it was breathtaking. From a diversity perspective, I don't see a ton of Black people in our national parks. I would love to see more, but for many and varied reasons, national parks and visiting national parks has just not been ingrained into Black travel yet. And I say yet, but I think it's coming because there's definitely this explosion in terms of Black Americans in kind of reclaiming this birthright to the outdoors. So as a woman, we definitely have some specific issues we have to think about in terms of safety. And then on top of that, I have another layer just in terms of I'm, I'm a Black woman. So when you are a BIPOC woman or part of any other marginalized group, I always let somebody know where I'm going, the trail I'm going on, how long it's expected that I'm going to be there, should they have to send help or something for you, right? Definitely have your cell phone in case of emergency. If you have the space in your backpack, have a backup battery for your phone. Um, I now am the proud owner of a stun gun. <laughs> um, and they even have some that come on the end of a hiking stick to get somebody to back off, to leave you alone. And also, you know, you want to know where you're going. Have the map saved in your phone. You don't want you walking around with the whole map pulled out. You don't want to look like a target. You know, you want to look like you know what you're doing. All of the individual national parks have their own apps and they're all really neat and really helpful in terms of giving you resources that will be available if you lose signal, because that's one thing to really keep in mind for many of the parks, you're going to get to some really remote places, but they have features where you can download, you know, the maps and tips and things that you need so you can use them offline. If you have yet to visit a national park, it should be high on your list. We are very fortunate to have this natural resource intact for us. We should absolutely take advantage of it. And I think it's really important that you not only experience the beauty, right, and the serenity and the things nature can do for you, but in turn, when you love something, you want to protect it. And I think visiting a national park in turn kind of awakens that, that sense of protection and should lead to conservationism. So yes, get to the national parks, not only because they're beautiful, but because we need your help to preserve them. If you want to learn more about the indigenous history and modern communities in and around the Grand Canyon, and also some ways you can help and get involved in the education 
and preservation movements, go to grandcanyontrust.org. We have a link in our description. Hi, I'm Brad. And I'm Matt. We're the co-founders and co-hosts of Hello Ranger, a national parks community app, blog, and podcast where we share our beautiful national parks and the surrounding areas. It's just a place where national park enthusiasts can engage with each other, ask questions, share photos, share tips. And it's just such a joyous, uplifting community to be a part of. So Carlsbad is my most visited national park. It's a place that's endlessly inspiring and just like doesn't seem like it should exist on Earth. So it's like this zigzagging pattern, this walkway that descends slowly through this gigantic cave. And the caverns down there are huge. They're also famed for their bats during a warm weather season. Right before sunset, the nightly bat migration happens. And Brad and I saw that like a year and a half ago, maybe. It was spectacular. It was really surreal. And you're just completely silent. You're not allowed to talk or use any like electronics or anything like that. And you're, you're just like absorbing what's happening around you. There's so many bats. It almost looks like a tornado or a plume of smoke or something. That's so cool. Um, another one that I kind of marked down that I've heard really good things about is Badlands. Brad, have you been to Badlands? Badlands is actually what inspired the whole entire aspect of our two and a half year journey. Matt started to get out of the food writing world and into the travel landscape. And he actually went to Badlands National Park. And when he came home, he was like, we need to go to national parks. And that's when we were like, you know what? Forget it. Let's go buy an RV and travel the country. And so when I got to go back there, it was an absolutely wonderful time. It looks like Mars. And again, it's like one of those things you're driving through Western South Dakota. And it's not terribly far from the Black Hills, but it's a portion of the state that's really kind of desolate and arid. And then abruptly, all of a sudden, the kind of land explodes into these buttes and canyons. Clearly, it was so formative and inspiring for me that it completely changed the direction of our lives. So I don't know where we would be if I didn't go to Badlands National Park that one time. So I'm really appreciative of it and always eager to go back because it's just breathtaking. What do you think the best national park to bring a dog is? Two that immediately come to mind. One is Petrified Forest in Arizona. The other is Acadia in Maine. I really like both of them, honestly. The reason why I think these two is because the wildlife isn't so intimidating. You can't take Finn and walk around Yellowstone because if there's a bear there, he's like a little snack. <laughs> and you're talking about your dog, right? <laughs> yeah, he's a mini dachshund, a whole like 13 pounds of pure alligator meat. Um, <laughs> I want to talk to you about cold weather national parks because I went to Yellowstone in the middle of the winter and I went on a snowmobile ride and it was a lot more intense than I thought it was going to be actually. I thought it was kind of just going to be a little cruise, but it was really fast. In terms of cold weather national parks or um, specific things you can do in national parks, do, you, do anything jump to mind there? The most memorable thing I've done was I went cross-country skiing at Bryce Canyon and also doing a little snowmobile tour on another day. Both were amazing. Also doing the snowmobile tour was a blast. Scary, because I thought I would drive off a cliff. But it was really fun. It's a surprising workout, because you have to like thrust your whole body and throw your weight into it to like do a turn. <laughs> and the other thing too is like, sometimes I was like, I would fall a little behind because I would be looking around because it was so beautiful. And then the instructor would yell at me and be like, you have to keep up or we're going to put you on someone's back. But like, we were going really fast and things were kind of zipping by. Um, 
I sound like my dad. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about national parks. So what is it about these parks that you fell in love with? And what do you think it is about these parks that so many people love? And what keeps people coming and supporting this system? I think you can learn a lot from the land because it is so diverse, right? It's kind of like people. And when you look at people, we're all different. We're all so unique. I think there's so many histories within our national parks. And it tells us a story of the people who came before us. And I think that that's so important. You can literally spend your whole life or dedicate two and a half years of your life to like fully submersing yourself into these and still know nothing about it. <laughs> in addition to just how diverse and beautiful and inspiring these places are, one thing that I always love is how kind of universal they are for everyone. Anyone who goes there from all walks of life and backgrounds and abilities and political leanings, like it just feels like everyone's on even turf and that's understood and safe. And that's palpable, especially as we were road tripping around the country. There are definitely places and towns and cities where I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable or very safe, just like wandering around by myself or with Brad or whatever. But national parks always feel like a, a haven where as soon as you're there, it just feels okay and it feels like you can breathe and you're just all there to enjoy this marvelous place together. Go to HelloRangerCommunity.com to check out the Hello Ranger podcast, some of their articles, and the rest of the Hello Ranger community. If you love national parks, you'll love everything they do. All right, we're going to take another quick break, but we'll be right back to wrap things up. Stick around. Okay, before we sign off, I just want to give you guys a heads up on a new project that Thrillist is working on. If you're itching to start traveling again, but you don't know where to start, we just launched a new curated four-day, three-night RV trip in upstate New York this summer called Thrillist Caravan. You and your friends will have your own fully decked out RV and a loaded itinerary throughout the Finger Lakes. You'll be going to wineries and exploring waterfalls. You'll meet American bison at the Mud Creek Bison Ranch and eat local barbecue under the stars, which means, of course, you'll need to loosen your own belt while checking out Orion's belt. Okay, that was a bad joke, but those are just some of the activities you and your friends will have access to on this truly momentous road trip. You should treat yourself to an adventure this summer with Thrillist Caravan. Check out the link in our description for details, or just Google Thrillist Caravan and you'll find it. Okay, want to thank the Thrillist podcast team for making this episode happen. Producers Jake Rasmussen and Mia Fask. Special thanks to Brett Kushner, Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Emily Feld, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudar. This episode was edited by Jake Rasmussen and Peter Wagner. You made it to the end of the episode, so here's a fun fact. There are 18,000 miles of trails in the National Park System, which is 17,000 more than Vanessa Carlton would walk to see you tonight, but everyone out there should try as hard as they can to walk one of those miles. They truly are one of the best parts of America. We love our national park system. So if you can, go visit a national park. And until next week, goodbye.